Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. As soon as Benjamin Netanyahu vacated the Prime Minister's office some 14 months ago, Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan moved to unfreeze Turkey's relations with Israel. When Foreign Minister Yair Lapid failed to respond to Ankara's advance, Erdogan outflanked him and found a warm welcome in Jerusalem's non-executive presidency, eventually bringing around Lapid and the other alternate Prime Minister Naftali Bennett. Now, another step up the ladder was marked, with Erdogan and Lapid announcing the return of their respective ambassadors after a dozen-year hiatus. Is it symbolic or substantial, and what's ahead for the Turkish-Israeli relationship? To analyze this topic, we're joined from central Israel by retired Colonel Dr. Eran Lerman, who is the co-host of TV7 Middle East Review, a Powers in Play panelist, the Vice President of the Jerusalem Institute for Strategy and Security and Editor-in-Chief of the Jerusalem Strategic Tribune. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Lerman. Also joining us from another location in central Israel is Dr. Chaitan Konyanorochak, who is the Senior Research, uh, a Research Fellow at the Jerusalem Institute for Strategy and Security as well as the Moshe Dayan Center at Tel Aviv University. Thank you for joining us as well. And I'd like also to welcome our TV7 editor-at-large and host of TV7 Watchmen Talk and Powers in Play, Mr. Amir Ogan. Amir, give us a broader understanding on the latest regarding uh, the Israel-Turkey relationship. So the most uh, salient fact um, which you mentioned is that uh, it was all Erdogan's initiative. Um, He is, uh, of course, uh, has been in power for the last uh, 20 years now. Uh, he was the one to uh, uh, decide on this uh, chill in relations, uh, some starting some 14 years ago, uh, and uh, obviously after the May 2010 uh, Mavi Marmara incident, uh, freezing it even more, including uh, the recall of the uh, ambassadors. So now uh, President Erdogan, uh, for uh, his own reasoning, because of his uh, strategic reassessment, decided that the time is ripe for uh, a rapprochement with Israel under new management. Uh, It is, of course, ironic that many in Israel, uh, in the opposition to Netanyahu, accused him of acting in an Erdogan-like manner. But Erdogan apparently uh, feels more comfortable with this opposition, uh, which is now in power. Now, whether Israel can respond in kind, having changed its entire array of uh, friends and partners in the Eastern Mediterranean. Uh, Of course, the the Israeli relationship with uh, Cyprus, Egypt, Greece, and other uh, players in this game has changed markedly over these uh, dozen years. So the very fact that ambassadors uh, will be uh, uh, stationed again in Tel Aviv and Ankara may not mean a lot. We have to see uh, what substance um, we will see in the relationship. 
Indeed. Well, I'd like to refer the first question to you, Dr. Lillman, if I may, and go a little bit down memory lane, considering the fact that uh, the relations between Turkey and Israel have been uh, quite bad, uh, as also Mr. Owen just alluded to, uh, going all the way to the Mavi Mauma in 2010. Uh, of course, subsequently, there were some attempts uh, which were ultimately successful in light of the intervention of the then President of the United States, Barack Obama, regarding uh, trying to seek a rapprochement, which ultimately uh, brought about uh, the famous, if you will, phone call uh, in uh, the presidential uh, uh, vehicle of President uh, Obama in front of Air Force One at uh, Ben Gurion International Airport, in which uh, uh, they had a phone conversation, uh, track two diplomacy behind the scenes was established, and uh, Israel, of course, uh, asked uh, or voiced regret for the the loss of life uh, of, for those killed at Mavi Mauma, uh, all the while uh, paying compensation to the families of those uh, Turkish activists. Uh, nevertheless, uh, we saw a short period of rapprochement, if I'm not mistaken, 2015 or 2016, uh, where there was a sort of normalization of relations, uh, not really a, a true one. Uh, but now again, uh, this is seeming to have been forged not necessarily for the right reasons. We have Greece, we have Cyprus, a warming relations there, uh, significant uh, relations. And then also, on the other hand, uh, we have uh, Egypt, which is not always uh, the best of friends with Ankara. Uh, what can you tell us about that? Well, first of all, a very quick reminder. Um, there was a renewal of relations at ambassadorial level back in 2016. Uh, the apology came in 2013 during uh, Obama's uh, and the compensation package. And then it took three more years for Netanyahu to decide that Erdogan is a fact of life and uh, we should normalize relations. And it was done in 2016. And two years later, Erdogan, um, basically reacting to events on the Gaza border uh, uh, that involved uh, the loss of serious loss of life on the Palestinian side, uh, kicked out the Israeli ambassador, uh, my friend Eitan Nair, who was now ambassador in Bahrain, in a deliberately humiliating manner and basically uh, charted for uh, a number of years, I would say for a couple of years uh, until 2020, a course of very aggressive um, neo-Ottoman conduct in the Eastern Mediterranean, culminating uh, in the intervention in Libya. Now, these th things do not seem to be connected, but they are. Because Israel's position is first and foremost a function of our, as you said, of our relationship now with Egypt, Greece, and Cyprus, what I tend to call the, not an alliance, but an alignment of forces in the Eastern Mediterranean that was at uh, loggerheads uh, with the Turkish position, with the, uh, uh, the way the Turks drew the borders of uh, the exclusive economic zones in the Eastern Mediterranean, the EEZ. And all of this was, was very quickly linked up with the Abraham Accords, because the, uh, particularly the United Arab Emirates um, came in in support of the Egyptian Greek position. Israel did the same. And this all happened within uh, uh, days uh, of the actual uh, cooking up 
of the Abraham Accords. Moreover, the UAE joined Israel, Cyprus, and Greece uh, in the so-called Paphos Forum of Foreign Ministers um, in, in, uh, in April 21. So we are looking at a, a sequence of, of events which indicates that this is not necessarily so much about the politics of Israel as it is about the broader regional, I'm talking Eastern Mediterranean balance of power. Now, two things happened to Turkey, I believe, and uh, of course I defer to uh, Chai's understanding of the Turkish scene, uh, but I believe the two major things happened uh, that changed Erdogan's calculus. The first, the most obvious, the one that everyone refers to clearly, is the collapse of the Turkish economy, the, the down cycle of the Turkish lira, the 70-odd percent inflation rate, the uh, uh, common assumption that you hear uh, increasingly now that this may cost him presidential elections next year. Uh, all of this uh, drove him in the direction of those who could help him out, and that's the UAE and Saudi Arabia. And ironically, in today's world, uh, which would uh, be uh, flabbergasting to people who looked at the, uh, the region 10 years or 20 years ago, even five years ago, today to be a friend of the UAE and Saudi Arabia, you also need to normalize your relations with Israel as well as with Egypt. So that's one part of the story. The other part of the story is that in Libya, uh, with the threat of an Egyptian military intervention, uh, a kind of equilibrium was reached in which the Turks saved their clients, the Egyptians protected their client, uh, Haftar, and there was no prospect essentially of resolving this by force one way or the other. So Turkey had to climb down from its uh, uh, high, horse, high moral horse in Libya and settled for, settled for some sort of uh, uh, contacts directly with Haftar, and with Egypt, and with the what I call the camp of stability in the region, to to uh, basically stabilize the situation there. Uh, between these two factors, uh, you have the conditions for a campaign, an active campaign by Erdogan, courting the UAE, courting the Saudis, courting the Egyptians to some extent, and courting Israel. Uh, left out are the Greeks who are now the target of a very virulent uh, Erdogan campaign, um, stirring up nationalist sentiments uh, in the run-up to the election. Um, he basically uh, said, I understand that he has been saying that Mitsotakis for him no longer exists, etc. And there's the tensions over uh, the, the uh, Greek military presence in uh, Castellorizo, etc. Um, Israel I believe, will not abandon its relationship with Greece and Cyprus, which has been painstakingly built. We've just witnessed uh, this year a massive deployment of Israeli forces to exercise in Cyprus, unprecedented in our entire history. And, and I think the benefits of this outweigh anything that we may gain uh, from uh, shifting sides in the eastern Mediterranean. So Indeed. the ambassadorial uh, step is a normal step between two nations that no longer seek each other's harm. But uh, to think that this would lead to a reversement des alliances, the shift from uh, the Hellenic uh, perspective to a Turkish one, I doubt it very much. 
Not to forget, of course, that immediately after uh, the normalization of relations uh, between Turkey and Israel, uh, Greece also announced the uh, procurement of uh, the drone dome from Rafael uh, uh, Limited, uh, the, the military um, or the, the defense industry here in Israel, uh, with uh, emphasis in its statement that it aims to protect Greece against Turkish drones with Israeli technologies, which is quite ironic that it happened immediately after the normalization. And of course, the Iron Dome sale by Israel, which is expected to occur to Cyprus, which also aims in its statement to protect Cyprus against Turkish uh, uh, aerial threats. So uh, so it's the Irony Dome. The Irony Dome, indeed. Um, but I'd like to ask uh, Dr. Haiko Narochak on uh, your perspective, from an Israeli perspective, if you will, how do you see this... Uh, uh, move by Turkey, which obviously is not necessarily keen from a, um, a warm perspective or, or to establish warm relations with Israel, but rather it sees it as realpolitik. It needs Israel at this stage. It has the rivalry vis-a-vis -vis, uh, uh, the Russians in Syria, vis-a-vis -vis the Russians also in the Black Sea, but also vis-a-vis uh, -vis the Iranians. Uh, there are more and more uh, challenges taking place at this stage. Uh, do you see this as the main equation, or is it indeed uh, purely an economic and political one for domestic purposes? Well, uh, first of all, I have to emphasize here that uh, the current reconciliation between uh, Israel and Turkey is a very fragile one, and I'm very skeptical uh, for that it is a... Uh, um, uh, a genuine one uh, that it is conducted by the goodwill but instead I, I really believe that uh, it is uh, basically implemented because of the uh, deterioration of the uh, Turkish economy combined with the Turkish diplomatic isolation in the Eastern Mediterranean. Uh, Dr. Lerman already mentioned, but let me also um, analyze this from my point of view. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the most important U-turn uh, for the Turkish foreign policy was, of course, uh, the success of the Abraham Accords. Uh, at the beginning, the Turks were very skeptical, uh, and they even uh, openly uh, told uh, in their official statements that they are not approving uh, the Abraham Accords uh, at all costs. but then we began to see that uh, they began to soften their stance vis-a-vis uh, -vis that. And uh, the, the, the most important reason for that, of course, the Turkish administration believed that uh, the Abraham Accords would collapse uh, right after the departure of Donald Trump from the White House. But what happened was the exact opposite. Uh, even if Donald Trump uh, was departed from the uh, White House, we began to see that also the current Biden administration began to strengthen uh, the Abraham Accords and later uh, which paved the way for the Negev summit which ushered uh, the new Middle East. Uh, let me uh, remind for our um, audience uh, that uh, during the Negev summit the uh, Israeli foreign ministry hosted the American, Moroccan, Egyptian, Bahraini, Emirati uh, uh, foreign ministers it was indeed a historic uh, point of view. And uh, as a result, the Turks understood then if they are not going to take uh, a, a tangible move, uh, then they will be uh, out of this uh, new equation in the Middle East. And in that regard, I would also like to um, uh, underline uh, 
the historic role of uh, President of the United Arab Emirates, Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Al Nahyan, who prov who basically paid a visit uh, to uh, Turkey and ushered an investment of ten billion dollars. With that particular investment, the UAE uh, basically bought the tendency of the Turkish foreign policy, and uh, since then we are seeing revolutionary U-turns uh, in the Turkish foreign policy. Uh, Turkey began to conduct a rapprochement vis-à-vis -vis Israel. Then, at the same time, we began to see the same type of maneuvers vis-à-vis -vis Egypt. Then they normalized their relations with uh, the Saudi Arabia. Nowadays, uh, the unthinkable is happening. Uh, Mr. Erdogan is also underlining his readiness uh, to normalize his relations with the Assad regime. And, of course, uh, since everything is very much dependent to everything, in my opinion, this is very much related to Turkey's bilateral relations with Russia. Um, uh, recently, uh, Turkey, Russia and Ukraine uh, reached on a deal for the wheat corridor uh, from Black Sea uh, to the Turkish uh, port of Istanbul. Uh, the Ukrainians are sending uh, 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 the wheat uh, via uh, ships. And uh, thanks to the Turkish uh, mediation, uh, Erdogan is seeking to lower the price of the wheat. And uh, needless to say that in Turkey, uh, uh, the cost of living is very high. The inflation is very high. The devaluation of the Turkish theater is deteriorating everywhere, uh, every day. Uh, today, uh, the one dollar is uh, became equal to 18 liras. So he has to do. He has to deliver an economic miracle. So in order to do that, he also has to please Vladimir Putin at the same time. So that is why he is doing this U-turn in Syria. Long story short, uh, I, I believe that uh, the current uh, Turkish foreign policy is not stemmed from a genuine uh, ideology shift but rather the uh, current diplomatic and economic circumstances are pushing Turkey to normalize her fences, not only with Israel, but also with the other states in the region. Indeed. There, there was another development, uh, which uh, of course is related to the Abraham Accords. Historically, Israel looked west and especially <laughs> wanted to have some association with NATO. And um, because of uh, the Israeli quest for uh, this partnership uh, uh, with NATO, Turkey had leverage over uh, the Israeli uh, relationship with Brussels in general. So I, this is uh, really what I wanted to ask you. What, what is Israel's angle in this? Is it the NATO relationship? Now that Israel is looking east and would rather have exercises with the fifth fleet out of Bahrain rather than the sixth fleet out of Naples, uh, Turkey can no longer interfere in the relationship between Israel, the United States, uh, which has its European command, UCOM, um, double, dual-headed with, with NATO. Um, only a few years ago, when Israel wanted uh, to take part in a common endeavor in uh, one of the NATO uh, operations in the uh, Mediterranean, Turkey uh, could have vetoed it and um, actually did by, by uh, um, putting many obstacles 
uh, on the uh, wet road to the, uh, to the operation. Now, neither Israel nor the United States need uh, Turkish acquiescence. So this has removed a point of friction between Israel and Turkey, and Turkey uh, behaves accordingly. Indeed. Well, uh, if I may, Dr. Leoman, I'd like to ask you uh, the same question I just uh, raised with uh, Mr. Oren. Uh, what is Israel's angle? Obviously, Turkey is there. It's a powerful regional neighbor, uh, not necessarily a neighbor, but it is a powerful uh, actor in this region uh, with the largest uh, or second largest military in NATO. Uh, relations are precarious at best with the West, uh, which Israel is enjoying uh, much warmer relations in that uh, sphere. And uh, it is within the context of dealing with a country that it knows firsthand that uh, relations fluctuate. Uh, one day it's uh, in one route and the other day it's in another. Is this something that, or is there something that we're missing here? Well, uh, as usual, the answer to many questions about Israeli policy nowadays is that uh, four-letter word, Iran, uh, which explains uh, the interest of Israel of drawing as much as possible Erdogan away uh, from his uh, complex, uh, sometimes tense, sometimes cooperative relationship with Iran and closer towards uh, what I called uh, already the camp of stability, the, the Saudi interest, the Emirati interest, and the Israeli interest. So uh, broadening the channels of dialogue with Turkey uh, is an, uh, on this question could be important. Uh, we all rem have to bear in mind that the Turkish uh, secret services fully cooperated with Israel in foiling a, uh, a series of, uh, I should say, uh, professionally half-baked, dastardly attempts by hirelings of the Iranian regime to assassinate the former consul general in Istanbul, of Israel in Istanbul, and, and Israeli tourists in their hotels or whatever, um, the Turks acted um, in a very uh, effective and straightforward manner. And I think this, this angle uh, gave a certain uh, reason in Israel to hope that uh, Erdogan could be drawn away from Iran and of course, that could be a crucial element in whatever scenario may evolve now, whether the JCPOA is renewed or not, whether we face a conflagration in Lebanon or not. It's better to, uh, to basically also have a channel with Turkey under these circumstances. But the other assumption that you hear from time to time, that this is also about gas, that Israel is looking, uh, once the Americans uh, withdrew their support from the East Med uh, pipeline, that Israel is now looking to Turkey for an alternative. That's a, that's a bit far-fetched, if I may say so, because quite frankly, to lay uh, a pipeline from uh, the Israeli gas fields to Turkey would have by necessity to go either through the Cypriot EEZ, and that's an impossibility as long as the Cyprus, Cyprus problem uh, is unresolved, or through the Lebanese and Syrian EEZs, which is an even greater absurdity under all any conditions unless uh, the impossible happens and we have peace all of a sudden. So there's no pipeline in the works, frankly. Um, and and, uh, and uh, if the Turks are uh, 
delusional about it, uh, that Israel would actually uh, agree to force a line through Cypriot waters, that's not going to happen. Indeed. Well, we're drawing near to the end of the program, and I'd like still to uh, give uh, Dr. Konyana Rochak a chance to um, provide us some perspective, because uh, there is the Azerbaijani angle in this whole equation. Uh, Azerbaijan is a close uh, partner of Israel, of course, uh, an even closer ally of Turkey, uh, and it has been working behind the scenes for quite some time to try and seek a, a, some sort of rapprochement between Turkey and Israel. Uh, Azerbaijan is obviously the northern neighbor of Iran, a rival of Iran. It was on the verge of war uh, for uh, uh, several months between Iran and Azerbaijan, and, and Turkey, of course, did a joint maneuver with it to try and repel that Iranian aggression. Uh, do you see this also as one of the equations that brought about the relationship to, once again, uh, relatively normal uh, levels between Ankara and Jerusalem? I think this should also be taken into consideration uh, when we are uh, looking at uh, the Caucasian uh, arena. Uh, during the last uh, second Karabakh war, we happen to see that uh, Azerbaijan enjoyed from Israeli military technology, uh, despite the fact that Ankara and Jerusalem did not plan together to support uh, Baku uh, on this uh, skirmish against the Armenians. But at the out, uh, all of a sudden, uh, also in Turkey, also in Azerbaijan and also in Israel, people began to speak about, uh, about this trio. Uh, the trilateral uh, alliance that can contain Iran. I think uh, uh, this can be uh, taken into consideration. And uh, I think uh, there is a, a window of opportunity uh, to uh, use Azerbaijan as a common denominator to strengthen the bilateral relations between Israel and Turkey. Of course, um, uh, given uh, the Azeri victory over Armenia, uh, uh, the the Turkish public uh, is uh, really is uh, they really celebrated this victory and also portraying Israel as a part of this victory would uh, basically contribute uh, to Israel's reputation inside Turkey. But I also believe that that should be also utilized for strategic reasons to contain Iran. Uh, we all know that. Uh, the Iranians are trying to deter Azeris uh, by conducting military drills uh, next to the Azeri borders. Uh, so, in my opinion, uh, Israel should do its best uh, in order to strengthen Azerbaijan uh, together with Turkey. And uh, why not? Uh, we can turn this into a trilateral Indeed. trio alliance. Indeed. Well, unfortunately, we, we reached the end of today's uh, production. Uh, the time ran out. Uh, there's still much to discuss on this uh, specific matter. Nevertheless, I'd like to thank uh, Dr. Lelman, Dr. Koinyana Rochak, and Mr. Owen for being part of today's uh, program. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.